stick around. We'd love to show you. All right, if you've got questions about that, we'd love to open up a Bible and tell you how you can be saved. Look at Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and as you turn there, I'll say a couple of things. Uh, thing number one, we've got a baptismal service on July 3rd, all right, so anyone that would uh, like to follow the Lord and believers' baptism is welcome to join that. Now listen, before you do it, don't just show up that day and go, I'm going to do it. I, I want to talk with you to make sure you understand the last thing I want to do is dunk you, and you think that me dunking you is getting you into heaven, because that is not what that is, all right? Uh, getting baptized is an outward manifestation, listen to me, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right? And when you got saved, here's what happened. Your, your old, you, the old you, as far as God is concerned, is now gone, and now there's a new you inside of you. All right, and so baptism is showing on the outside what happened on the inside when you got saved. Does that make sense? All right, if it doesn't make sense, we'll be more than glad to answer more questions about that. Uh, July 3rd, for those that are doing that, if you're doing that, please see this lady right here, this lovely lady, all right, and um, she wants to get your, your uh, uh, full name and T-shirt size so we can make sure we give you a baptismal T-shirt that day, and we got a certificate for you, we want you to take home as well to remember that event. All right, and the other thing I'm going to say is this. I'm wearing pink tonight. Number one, because I am Latino and I like to wear pink, all right? <laughs> it's good on my complexion, all right? Uh, also, also, <laughs> uh, we are having a baby girl, all right, for those that don't know, all right? So uh, Olivia is the first name. We've got that ironed out. We were arguing the, oh, oh I'm sorry, we were heatedly discussing uh, uh, with Ariana for the most part. She's like, what about Raya? She's, and then my wife, my wife goes, this is hilarious. My wife goes, what about rain? And then Ariana later on is like, I don't know what waterfall or whatever it was. And, and, and Lacey goes, we're not hippies. I'm like, lady, you just said rain. <laughs> so anyways, we don't know what we're doing yet with that. Uh, Olivia is the first name. So there you go. Uh, so for those that are praying for our, our uh, sixth child, all right. Uh, thank you very much. That means a lot to our family. It really does. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Stand with me if you would. Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. Jose, you doing all right over there? Good? Yeah. Brother Jaime. Not, not the white one, right? All right, the other one? All right, where's the other Jaime? There you are. What do you want to say, buddy? Amen. 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 That's good. That's good. And to be clear, Jose was not the one saving him. All right, Jesus was, but Jose was the one that God used to open up the Bible to show him how he can be saved. All right, so after church, we'll sing, Jose, Jose, Jose. I'm just kidding, won't do that. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, uh, look if you would at, uh, oh, let's see, verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Anybody here know what that feels like? Man, it's tough. And these are contrary the one to the other. I kind of feel like that's such, it's truth, but sometimes in my life it feels like an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> so that you cannot do the things that you would. But, now listen, but if you, let, if you be led of the spirit, which is what we're talking about, the results of a spirit-led life. Now listen, if you've never been born again, the first thing you have to do is you've you got to get saved, yeah. all right? And then after that, there's a choice you've got to make on a moment-by-moment basis. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. There's nothing like a Bible to clear up the fact that you think, I mean, I'll say it like this. We are kind of jaded in our society to sin. And getting to church and opening up a Bible and reading what God says, that you don't have to, you know, it's an amazing thing. If you took every Bible story and you made a movie out of it, it'd be like, some of those stories would be like rated R, big time, right? And yet when you read it from the pages of the Bible, it doesn't convert into filthy images in your mind. Isn't that an amazing thought? Because this book is pure. It's unlike any other book, all right? Uh, it says uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Hatred's the work of the flesh. Variance, emulations. Let, let me go back to hatred. One group, white, white folks hate black folks, that hate them. You know what the problem is? Sin. Yeah. Black folks hate white folks. You know what the problem is? Sin. All right? Uh, Hispanic folks hate everybody because we don't like any of them, right? <laughs> and 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. And you know what the problem is? The problem is sin. It's a work of the flesh. Emulations, wrath, out of control anger, strife, constant, constant contention, seditions, heresies, envyings, got to have what someone else has, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You can be born again and enter the kingdom of God and not fully inherit everything God wants you to have in the kingdom of God. Okay? All right, verse, 20, uh, verse 22. I want you to notice the disjunctive conjunction. For those of you that are still in high school, you're doing grammar. The first word there is but, because God wants you to see there's a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. It's, it's a pure love, by the way. Uh, love that's not holy turns into perversion. Love, joy, real lasting joy, not just based on the circumstances. I'm just happy because of what God's done for me. Peace, something that comes from within. We talked about that from John 14 and 15, how Jesus said he would leave his peace with us, not as the world gives it, but as he does. All right. Long suffering. Now, I want you to just stop at the next one. Gentleness. Gentleness. Let me say this. Some of you by nature are gentle, and so you've been waiting for this all <laughs> month long. You're like, yeah, get those agitated jerks, <laughs> right? Um, and some of you are not gentle, and you might look at this and go, oh, this is soft. This isn't for me. No, no. Jesus Christ was gentle yeah. with those who required being gentle with. And he was very, very direct with those who we needed to be direct with. But I I want you to understand one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're being led by the Spirit of God, listen to me. Your responses to people will not always be, they'll be gentle. You know why? Because you have peace. And you can suffer long. And because of that, you can be gentle with others. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. I'm going to ask my uh, good friend, Little Joe. And when you look at Little Joe, you're going to wonder. You're going to know exactly what we call him, Little Joe. <laughs> Brother, if you would open us up in the word of prayer. Appreciate it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. And and Jaime, before you leave, we want to make sure we get you a Bible as well if you don't already have one, all right? Uh, let, let me just start off with this, guys. Um, when you got saved, the Lord started to work in your life, and it's a big word, so I want to make it kind of make sure it's it's not uh, 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 daunting. But the word is sanctification. All right. Now, there's two kinds of sanctification in your in your life as a believer. All right. The first kind is the sanctification of your soul. All right. Sanctification is a big word. Here's what it means: to set apart for something and to set something apart and dedicate it. For a pure use, all right? In other words, God wants, listen to me, God wants to sanctify your soul and clean it in the sight of God. That's what salvation is, all right? He wants to sanctify your soul, separate that soul and go, okay, now I can have fellowship with that person. Now I can interact with that person because before that, their spirit was dead and their soul was dirty. It was unclean. And so God says, you know what? I want you to experience something that's going to last forever. The sanctification of your soul is eternal. And listen to me, once you get saved, thank God, nothing can change that. It's awesome. It's great. All right. Now, now that that is to live in the spirit. But there's a second kind of sanctification, and that has to do with walking in the spirit. And that is a moment by moment thing. That is not something that you get. Okay, now that I'm saved, I'm saying my life 
and the issues in my life and the desires of my heart and the thoughts of my mind and the words of my mouth, they're all just going to be right automatically. I wish it was that way. That is not the case. All right. When you get saved, God gives you the potential because of the sanctification of your soul to live a sanctified and clean life for Jesus Christ. But having the potential to do that does not always convert into reality. Can I get a witness? All right, so this is a moment-by-moment thing, and that's described in Galatians as walking in the Spirit. All right, and so if you're a born-again child of God, you need to understand this much. What we're actually talking about is the second layer here. If you're not saved yet, you need to start right here. But once you are saved, what we're talking about is not so much, okay, now that I'm saved, I will never commit any other sin for the rest of my life. I wish I could tell you that, but that's just not reality. You've got this flesh that's battling every step in your life. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. Please, this is rhetorical, don't raise your hand. How many of you thought tonight, do I really need to go? Why are you laughing? (laughs) She's like, I'm pregnant. I got the excuse now. They won't judge me. You know, I mean, let's be honest, though. We don't always want to do what God wants us to do. And so it is a moment-by-moment thing where we go, okay, God, I am going to yield. I'm going to submit to what you say and to what you want, all right? Being sanctified in my soul does not automatically make me do that. That is a moment-by-moment thing, and that's a decision of my will. That is me submitting to God's will. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me show you an example of this. Now that you are saved, if you're a born-again child, by, by the way, uh, a Wednesday night is called Midweek Bible Study, all right? So we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, you're going to go to the right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And look, if you would, at verse 3. How many times have you heard someone say, or maybe you've thought this, I want to know the will of God for my life. What does God want from me? How can I find God's design for my life? You know, there are some places in the Bible that say this is the will of God for you, and you would be wise to find those places and to highlight them, and then to go further from that, furthermore to go, okay, now that I know what they are, I'm going to follow that, because that's God's will for my life. Now, look at verse uh, 3 of chapter 4, uh, 1 Thessalonians. For this is the will of God, even your what? sanctification you're setting apart for being used for god look how does he say that you do that in regards to your life one of the ways is to abstain from fornication all right you say what is that that's a big word that says it pretty much means this until there's a ring on the finger keep your hands to yourself all right now i know you i know i'm not going to make enemies of the young people you know you're old man you don't know any better oh i know more than you think i know and i know this much i don't care what generation you're in your flesh is your flesh and once you do this, then you want to do this, then you want to do this, then you want to, you know, before you know it, you know, yeah, okay, are we, are we okay there? Are we good? All right, so, so are, come on, guys, you guys watch way worse than that on TV. And when I mention anything about you, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's saying that in church. Whatever, preach, brother, someone give me a preach, all right? So, so the idea is this, you have to choose, listen to me, you have to choose to live a sanctified life. God's not going to make you do that. All right. If God is dealing with you about sin in your life, God's not. You can get down and go. God, would you take this away? You know He's going to be like, Yeah, I, I gave you sixty-six books to tell you how. And the problem is, you think God's going to miraculously take this thing that you've done for forty years in your life away like that. That's not how it works in the Christian life. Here's what happens. For years, you have thoughts in your mind. I've got this thing up here, and I want to show you this. Your thoughts turn into words. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your thoughts, the Bible says in Proverbs, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Recently, the Lord has put a lot of people in my path who are just, man, they're at their wit's end. And they're, they're literally, their lives are literally just falling apart, and they don't know what to do. They're not sure how to pick up the pieces. And you know where all those issues start? They all start with the thoughts. Amen. You putting stuff in here, let me, let me, I'm going I'm to park for just a moment on something, and I know it's going to be uncomfortable, and I'm sorry. Uh, but I'll tell you this, every area of perversion in our society, and, 
Every, I don't know if you know this. If you, I'm not going to recommend you go study serial, serial killers, but you know what they all have in common? They all have an issue with pornography. And our country and our society is screwed up. Is that plain enough for you guys? All right, it's messed up. And you know why? Because the stuff that you're putting in here is filthy. And input equals output. Someone one time said, you used to have an open mind. First off, I learned a long time ago, when people talk about being open-minded, they're hypocrites. What they really mean is you need to think like me. All right, because I can listen to someone blah, blah, blah about whatever they think about the universe and whatever else. It doesn't bother me at all. I start to about Jesus Christ. I'm like, you need to be open-minded. Well, well, you know, the problem is this. If you're open-minded too long, what eventually happens, you leave that thing open for too long, someone's going to dump their garbage in there. All right? And so the thoughts are a problem. The Bible says that you're to cast down imaginations. Those thoughts determine eventually who you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Those words turn into action oftentimes. This is the pattern. Those actions turn into habits. Those habits determine your character. And even if you're saved, this still rings true. This doesn't go away just because you got your soul sanctified. You need to have your life sanctified. You know what some people will do? They'll go, man, I don't know why I'm struggling with this. And like, are you reading your Bible? No. Are you, are you faithfully coming to church? No. Who are you surrounding yourself? Well, my old drinking buddies. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the problem. Right. Are you with me tonight? You understand what I'm saying? So you, God is not going to... Listen, here's what God did for you when you got saved. He took all of the sins of your past. He took all the penalty of sin, and he took that and put it on Jesus Christ. He wiped the slate clean so you could stand before God justified, which means in a legal sense cleared of all guilt when you stand as a, as a born-again child of god you are still a sinner you're a sinner saved by grace all right so but when you stand before god the eternal aspect of who you are the real you the soul is clean no matter what the flesh does but when you're living as a believer in this life in this world your flesh picks up all kinds of garbage man i tell you what we've got some people working on construction in the house and uh they keep leaving the, the door open down there and so our dog that we don't want in the house, tracking stuff all over the place, keeps coming in the house. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what else I've noticed, all right? I love my kids, but I'll tell you what, kids and dogs are the worst thing you do if you want to keep your house clean. Worst thing in the world. <laughs> They're the greatest source of happiness, all right? Some of you that like, you're like, yeah, that's why I don't have kids or dogs, all right? But man, I'll tell you what, they track all kinds of stuff in the house. Why? Because you can't go outside without bringing something in. Does this make sense? And so when you're living in this, in this world, this, as the Bible calls it, this present evil world, all right, you're going to pick stuff up, and you're going to have to learn to stop and clean yourself up. Remember the story of the disciples, and they're sitting around there at the Last Supper, and Jesus goes to, to wash Peter's feet, and he goes, no, Lord, don't do it. I should be doing this for you. And I love it. I love the self-righteous. It's like, it's like us Christians sometimes. No, brother, you shouldn't have to do this. Then why weren't you doing it? Right? He goes, Jesus, you shouldn't have to do this, you know, and the Lord's looking at him like, well, why didn't you do it five minutes ago? No one else did it. Jesus gets down to serve them, and Peter goes, no, Lord, uh, don't do that, and the Lord goes, if you don't let me clean you, you have no part with me. Then he goes, okay, all right, clean all of me. Go ahead, start up here, get up, get over here. You missed something back here. Go ahead, get all of me, all right? Why? Because he wanted to be sanctified. He wanted to be clean. Don't you know one of the things that I think is great about coming to church? It's a clean place. I just, I like clean, all right? I do. I like clean. I'm kind of a clean freak. You can ask my wife. I used to have a real problem. People used to come over. Don't laugh at me, Miss Debbie and Brother James. We'd have fellowship. People come over to our house, and then, you know, there's, there's dirty dishes, and I'm just looking at the dishes going, like, uh, uh, and I go in there and clean. My wife go, honey, you're making the company nervous. Go sit down. And you say, that doesn't seem right. Why are you doing that? Aren't you the man? Yeah, but I was raised in a military home. My dad is like Mr. Clean on steroids. I like clean but physically that doesn't make me spiritual but you ought to want clean spiritually and what we're talking about is living a clean sanctified life which is a moment by moment choice here's what happens you you think about something you want to do there's the thought and then the holy spirit in your life goes uh uh, uh. you don't want to go down that road and that's that split second that moment in time where you either justify it you tell god i can handle this or it's not as bad as someone else. It's not as bad as my ex-husband. Right? Or it's not as bad as whatever, whoever you're thinking of. Right? And then the Holy Spirit goes, okay. The Holy Spirit backs off. 
You know why? Because he's gentle. He's going to let you choose. But that moment is when that thing becomes something that eventually comes up, and eventually you'll start talking about what you think about. And those become actions, and then it's a cycle in your life. And you're looking at your life going, I've been saved for so long. Why can't I have victory over this? I want to be clear with you, and I, wanna, I want you to understand something. God is not going to just take everything away from you that you have implanted in your life for the last 30 to 40 years. You're going to have to, listen to me, he took the sin off of your soul, but the things in your life, you're going to have to be honest with yourself and honest with God and look in the mirror and go, why do I have this here? Why did I bring it here? What door did I open in my life to, to, to bring that in? Why is it that I'm thinking this way? Why is it that I think like a victim? Why is it that I hate everyone that has something that I don't have? Why is it that I uh, and just start addressing those things? And before you know it, you can start getting some right character in your life. But listen, character is not automatic when you get saved. All right, listen, I don't know how to say this, but if you could down 13 donuts before you were saved and you're like, okay, God, I, I eat too many donuts. Just because you got saved doesn't mean the next day you're like, okay, no more donuts. Do you understand it? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm just trying to use a simple illustration to point to the fact that you don't just automatically. Now, listen, I've heard some people get saved and the next day they go, I don't, I don't swear like I used to. I, I don't. Well, that's great, but you know, you still have, you still have pride. Well, you know what? I don't, I don't smoke like I used to. I don't do drugs like I used to. Yeah, but now you're gossiping about people. You understand what I'm saying? You never get rid of all of it. And so you have to, as a Christian, you got to, on a moment-by-moment basis, you have to look in the mirror and go, okay, God, what am I holding on to, and what am I submitting to the Spirit of God in my life so that I can walk in the Spirit and be led of the Spirit of God? Now, look, you have a choice to do that. When you got saved, listen, God took all the sin off of your soul, but He didn't take it away from your flesh. Now, what He did do, now, I don't know uh, uh, necessarily, I haven't talked with Jaime yet, I look forward to doing that. But anyone that, that did get saved here, you would understand this much. There was something inside of you that was stirring you going, I don't know what that saved thing is, but I think I need that. Yeah. Or maybe it was like this. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve what's coming to me. And God, I hope you have a way out. And that guy seems to be confident that there's a way out. And I kind of like the idea of finding that way out. Something along those lines where the Spirit of God was dealing with you as an individual from within your heart. You know what he did not do? He did not take your head, smash it down, and go, you will pray. You will receive Jesus Christ. That's not how that works. Do you know why? Because he's gentle. You know what the Spirit of God doesn't do? He doesn't manipulate. (laughs) You know what we're really good at? Manipulating. Oh, let me tell you something. I learned from the best. Puerto Rican mamas are the best. Ay, hijo mío, ¿por qué tú estás diciendo eso? Rompe mi corazón. And just, oh, just pouring out the guilt. You know what I mean? Listen, we're good at that. The older we get, the better we are. And you have to watch that in your life because even with your children, for those of you that are parents, you don't want to manipulate them in what's right. You want to lead them in what's right. And if you lead someone to Christ and they're a baby Christian, you don't want to manipulate them to doing the right thing. You want them to be led into doing the right thing. There are things, I got to be honest with you guys, there have been some people in this church that have gotten saved that I look at things externally in their life, and I go, well, that's going to be a problem. You say, do you go up to them and tell them everything that's wrong? Nope. You say, why? I could go up to someone and go, you need to stop doing that. And they would go, Pastor Adrian told me I need to stop doing that, so I better stop doing that. But the Holy Spirit didn't tell them that. Do you understand? And you know what's going to happen? They're going to do it for a while. And then eventually the juice runs out because Pastor Adrian is not omnipresent. I'm not everywhere. But you know who is everywhere? The Spirit of God. And so when you are led of the Spirit of God and he shows you and he points out, hey, I don't think you need to spend four hours a day on social media. Hey, look, I I don't think it's a good idea for you to keep putting that stuff in your mind. Hey, listen, I I know you like that, but maybe listen, that's not the best thing for your life. And he starts dealing with you as a believer about those things. Listen, if you're not saved yet, here's the only message you're going to get from the Holy Spirit of God. Ye must be born again. He'll keep telling you that until you deal with that. But he'll be gentle about it. He won't force you to do anything. You know what you can do? You can resist the Holy Spirit of God. You can quench the Holy Spirit of God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Look at James chapter 3. I can tell you this, though. Uh, you, 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 don't, you, you have a choice in the matter. And the reason why you have a choice in the matter is because the subject we're talking about tonight, God is gentle. 
when he is leading somebody, he is not manipulative. He is not controlling. That's the problem that we have because, listen to me, because of a lack of the Spirit of God in our lives, a lack of the leadership of the Spirit of God, when we see things we don't like in people's life, it's like, I need to fix all of that. And then you're ignoring everything that's wrong in your own life. And the way you respond to people isn't always gentle. Can I get a witness? You ever, have you guys been in traffic lately in Denver? I know you may not say all the words, but you're thinking some of those things, and they're not, the words that are going through your mind are not gentle and grace and love. Am I right about that? All right, you know what the problem is? There's a lack of the leadership of the Spirit of God in your life. And when the Spirit of God is leading, there's a gentleness to your response to people and life. I, I'm going to read James 3 in a moment, but I want to show you something here. I've got I, E, I, E, different, different letters here, and you have no idea what it means, but next to love, I've got I and E, and here's why. I think love is something, good to see you, young man. Glad you came back, man. Uh, I is something that, that references the internal. E is something that references the external, okay? You got internal and external. You know what I believe about love? It's internal first, then it comes externally, all right? Joy, it's an internal thing because you have to have it from within before it can be manifested. It's both. Peace, same thing. Long-suffering, for the most part, you know what long-suffering is? It's something that people are watching on the outside. When I look at gentleness, for the most part, you know what I think of? External. It has a lot to do with your relationships with other believers, your relationships with lost people, your relationship, listen to me, with your boss. I got two employees here tonight. Be nice to your boss, right? <laughs> All right. Gentleness, right? But you understand what I'm saying? Like the, In every aspect of your life, if it's a relationship thing, this thing is going to apply because it, it references how you respond to the world around you and the people in it, all right? Whenever I'm not walking the Spirit of God and someone says good morning, I've literally watched this happen before in church. Someone comes into church and they go, oh man, it's good to see you. Yeah, I haven't seen you for a couple weeks and that's their way of saying, I missed you, man. They go, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by a couple weeks? Were you watching me? Were you waiting for me to come to show how much I was wrong for not being here? And Stan's like really uncomfortable right now, I can tell. <laughs> But, but you understand what I'm getting at. That you say, what well, that response, it's not relative to the response from the other person. Why is that person so agitated? You know why? There's a lack of gentleness there. All right? Uh, I'm going to pick on a young couple. You guys have been married for a little bit. How long have you been married now? Uh, year and a half. Year and a half. Oh, all right. I can break this thing right in half. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do it. <laughs> have you had to learn a little bit about being gentle? A little bit. <laughs> and she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, here, here's the thing with marriage. I'll, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny. As a guy, anyways, right? Men and women are different. I don't care what they say out there. That's a bunch of foolishness. Men and women are different. All right? She's been thinking about her wedding day from the time she's like two years old. Right? Guys don't care about the wedding day. I know that's going to hurt some of you, and you're going to, oh, you're a terrible person. No. Here's generally, and I'm not trying to be a vulgar or ugly, but we want to just get away with our wife. That's all we want to do. Because for years, especially for me, it was like, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. I get married, I'm like, is this weird for you guys? It's okay, I'm married, okay, I hope that's okay, all right? Ariana's like, it's weird for me because uh, I'm your kid, so stop. <laughs> oh, I better move on from that. You, you, what, I, what I want you to understand is this, all right? As it relates to marriage, you learn very quickly as a man that your wife is not just this beautiful thing. She's a person. <laughs> She's got her own ideas. <sighs> Bless God, I thought she would just think like me. Bro, if you want her to think like you, you should have married a dude. <laughs> She's never going to think like you. Ever. <laughs> Amen. All right, so, so then when there's conflict, you have to learn to respond with gentleness. And that's not natural. The natural thing is to go, yep. I don't mean physically. Please don't misunderstand me. <laughs> and if it was physically, it would be her picking on me, all right? But my dad's here, and every time my dad's around, I'm like, Dad, she's picking on me. <laughs> but you understand what I'm getting at, guys. In reference to gentleness, it's not just something that, you talk about in regards to fluffy things at church. It affects every aspect of your life. How do you respond to your spouse? How do you respond to your coworkers? 
How do you respond? Listen, some of you have coworkers that aren't saved. You, you don't think they're watching your life? They dropped the ball on a project. You're the project lead. They screwed up, and you want to let them have it? I'm not saying you don't need to tell them the truth, but you can speak the truth in love. And you better not do it out of anger, because if you do it out of anger, I'm telling you right now, you're blowing your testimony. You know what the world needs to see? Under pressure, you can be gentle. You, you don't have to control and manipulate and be aggressive in every situation. Can I ask you this? The moment someone points out something that is negative about you, do you automatically lunge? Or do you ever just stop and go, hmm, I wonder if there's any truth in anything that they're saying. And Lord, let me think about this so that I can respond the right way. The, the problem is we're always on offense. And there's a lack of gentleness. Look at James chapter 3. And what James does is he contrasts not necessarily the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, but what James does is he contrasts two kinds of wisdom. And uh, again, I'll direct this to the young people for just a moment. I think getting an education is a marvelous, wonderful thing. Uh, I, I think that uh, you going to get a degree, if that's what God's asking you to do, is the best thing you can do in your life, and it is no less important than someone going to Bible school. Listen to me very carefully. If God tells you to be a plumber, be the best plumber you can be. If God tells you to be a doctor, be the best doctor you can be. Go to all the school you need to go to. That's all good and fine. But let me just say this much. Education without salvation is damnation. Yeah. Let me remind you of something. Listen to me very carefully. For those of you that think education is the answer, Nazi Germany was 98% literate. You go, well, how does America compare? I can tell you this, we ain't even close right now. 1936, Germany was 98 point something percent literate. They're highly educated people, smart people, innovators, creative. How did they follow a man that was demon-possessed? I tell you how you do that, because education without salvation is damnation. And there's two kinds of wisdom. James chapter number three, I want you to look at this. All right, and I want you to see some of the qualities of these different types of wisdom. James chapter 3, and uh, look if you would at verse number 14. James three fourteen. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. In other words, this isn't the real wisdom you want. Don't deceive yourself. Look at verse 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above. In other words, it's not from heaven, but is earthly sensual. What's the next word? The wrong kind of wisdom can mess you up big time. You know how you learn that? The first book of your Bible, three chapters into it, the devil comes to Eve and goes, hey, this food, this, this tree is to be desired to make you wise. Well, I thought wisdom is a good thing. The right kind of wisdom is, you know, there's some things you don't need to know about. Honestly, you, I know we live in the information age. We ha- are drowning in information, and we are, uh, we, we are suffering for the lack of wisdom. We got information coming out of our ears, but we don't know what to do with it. You say, what is that? It's the wrong kind of wisdom. And look how he describes it, earthly, sensual, devilish. Uh, look at the next uh, verse. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. I don't know if I'm a man. I don't know if I'm a woman. That didn't come from God. Yeah. All right? But the wisdom, I'm not, listen to me. If you think for a moment that I'm picking on someone, Listen, I've sat down with people that have that, that issue in their life. Do you know that the suicide rate post and pre-operation or pre-transition versus post-transition is virtually no different at all? Do you know that? If that transition is supposed to make you happy, why aren't you happier? Why don't the numbers drop? I'll tell you why. Because it's a matter of confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. God wants clarity in your mind. He wants you to, to be free in the truth shall make you free. But you have, you have to acknowledge that it is, in fact, the absolute truth, the word of God. Now, look what it says in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's not going to make you, your mind dirty. It's pure. Then peaceable. And what after that? And then look at this. Easy to be entreated. You know what that means? It's approachable. When you have the right kind of wisdom, people can approach you. When you have the wrong kind of wisdom, it's like, man, that guy just, it doesn't matter what I say. It's combustion every time. Or or you go, well, no, no, preacher, I'm not that way. Uh, Unless they hit certain buttons. All right, well, let me just say this much. Even if they're hitting certain certain buttons, do you not have the ability to control yourself? 
The Bible says that someone that is without control over their own spirit, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You let everything in and out. Listen, let me tell you right now, we have locks on our doors at our house. You know why? Because I don't want certain things coming in freely. You can knock on the door if you want, and then I'll, I'll decide whether it's a good thing to let you in. Amen? All right? But, but the idea is this. When your life is out of control, it's because there's a lack of leadership of the Spirit of God. And when your parents say, hey, you shouldn't do that, and you go, bah! Anybody remember being a teenager? Because I, I do. All right? Yeah. Or let's flip it around. Your kid comes to you and goes, mom, dad, I'm struggling with this. Bah. Yeah, the problem is there's a lack of gentleness there. Well, I'm giving them the truth. Yeah. But let me tell you something. I've ordered stuff on- online before, and it looks a certain way. And then after it comes on a certain delivery truck, it does not look like that anymore. <laughs> the content was the same, but the method of delivery messed the whole thing up. So you need to get a hold of that. Look, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. You know what God tells me? I'm going to expose myself for a moment and say, this is what God has told me to do. This is my calling, and this is what God has told me to live up to. Let's read it together. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. And you guys can pick me apart and go, he ain't nothing like what God says he should be. All right, whatever your your comments might be, uh, keep them to yourself, pray for me. All right, look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know what that tells me? Whatever it is that you're following in your life will be determined by who you're around. Look what it says, with them. Who are you with? It's an important question. Look at verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord, that's the preacher, that's the pastor, must not strive, but be what? Gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Why? Why is all that so important? Look at the latter part. Look at verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You know what I've realized? Uh, I I won't go into all the details, but someone recently reached out to me that... um, Sent me an email, I, uh, an email years ago that, you know, was kind of a, let me tell you why you're a jerk <laughs> type of email, all right? We've got some preacher's kids in here, all right? You understand what those, those emails come sometimes. And uh, honestly, I, I put that thing away a long time ago, haven't thought about it, no grudge. I've seen the guy many times over the years, uh, love him, no, no issue there, but Recently, the guy called me and said, I just want you to know something. I did something to you, and it was years ago, and maybe you forgot all about it, but I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Now, I'm not saying, saying that to beat my chest and go, yeah, he needed No, quite the opposite. Um, what I'm trying to get at is this. In verse 25, it says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. What I've learned is over the years as a pastor is that most times when people lunge and they, they're angry at, at their spouse, angry at me, angry at whoever, the world, really the real issue is they oppose themselves. There's an inner conflict, and rather than dealing with that inner conflict, they take it out on people around them. And the only chance, keep reading the verse and read the next one, the only chance of them repenting and coming to the acknowledging of the truth is the preacher being gentle. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't like that. <laughs> be- because there are moments where I'd rather not be gentle. And let me just say this. There are moments when you can't be, where you have to be very direct. Jesus did it. But let me tell you this about Jesus. With the people that were broken, and they knew they had sin in their lives, he was gentle. With the self-righteous Pharisees, he said, you are of your father the devil. I mean, he just let them have it. You guys are whited sepulchers. You look all pretty on the outside, but you got dead men's bones inside. I mean, he let her rip. But with those that were broken, he didn't do that. And what you're dealing with today oftentimes is people that are broken, people that are dealing with conflict from within, and they take it out on you, and then you don't respond the right way. 
And then you wonder, how come they're not figuring it out? Well, because the only example that they had was right in front of them, and you blew it. Sometimes we do that with our kids. Sometimes we do it with our spouse. Sometimes we do it with believers. I'll tell you this, though. I am glad, glad that God has been gentle with me in moments of my life where I did not deserve Him being gentle with me. Look, if you would, at another place, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For those of you that are like me and went to a Bible school that oozes with testosterone and, uh, you know, the, the gym smells like nothing should ever smell, ever. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a rough place. Uh, you know, the, the gym we had down there in, in Florida, I mean, when, it, when it's humid, you can't, you can't even play basketball because it's like uh, this wet surface that you just slide around. And I remember one time I was in there, and for those that don't know, yes, I do like to smell good. Yes, I'm Latino. Yes, I believe in cologne. I believe it <laughs> as one of the doctrines of the faith, all right? A uh, doctor came in this morning to help with Preston's cast. He goes, someone's got cologne. I said, guilty, guilty. <laughs> one time I dropped my cologne bottle there in the gym, and it shattered everywhere. Now, listen, for a poor Bible school student, that was $40. I bought that little bottle of cologne on, at the PX. Uh, they're the Navy BX or whatever it was. And that was like so precious. But you know what I thought? For the next month, this gym might smell good. <laughs> I mean, that, that was where I went to school. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong. I don't, I don't, I'm thankful for I went to Bible school. But when I first came out, I thought anything that reflected gentleness was a sign of being effeminate and soft and wimpy. And Now, let me tell you why that was. Because you live in a society where you guys, you young men, are taught to be wimpy and soft and effeminate and all the rest. And... Sorry, but it's true. Listen, I'm sorry, but the the reality is you you young men are supposed to be different than the girls. Right? When you you try to become like one of them and you're like, I don't get why they don't like me. Well, that might be part of the problem. But, But what I want you to understand is this. When I came out of there, I automatically assumed if someone's gentle, then that just means that they're handling it too softly. Sometimes you need to be soft. Listen, from the pulpit... I'm going to let her rip, and I'm going to say a lot of things that offend a lot of people. But when I'm sitting down with somebody, and they're telling me what's going on in their life, do you think I'm like, you know what your problem is? <laughs> I'll do that when I'm preaching, because you know what preaching is? <laughs> I have no idea where it's going to land, but hopefully it hits something. That's what preaching is. When you're sitting down one-on-one with somebody, very different. Look what Paul says in First Thessalonians. I'm trying to give you some biblical wisdom on how to be gentle. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. I talked a lot with Brother Joe about this. Um, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. He's like, oh God, what is it? It's not bad. Uh, but uh, our, our ministry here in Aurora, would you say is a little different than maybe where you grew up? Okay. Not bad, not better, not worse, not good. Not, it's not about that, but different. And what God has done is God has brought a lot of young believers and people that are looking for the truth and they get saved to our church and you know what you have to be with with the baby when you get saved you're born again you're like a new baby your life starts over it's a it's a best reset in life I, i can tell you this much when olivia is born and she's screaming at 2 a.m i'm not like why don't you shut up I may think it, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> now, let me tell you this. At 1130 at night, <laughs> shut up! I can do that a little bit more with them because they can handle it. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So you know what a baby requires? Some gentleness. Me holding a baby with delicacy does not make me weak. It makes me not an idiot. Do you understand? And, and you guys ever held a baby before? Yeah? It's it kind of unnerving, isn't it? Kind of when you hold it, it's kind of like, oh, I just want to make sure I don't drop it. And the first time you hold it, it kind of feels like their head's going to fall off, right? <laughs> You're kind of doing this number, you know, to make sure it stays on. You say, you say why? Because you want to care for that baby. That doesn't make you weak. That makes you aware of who you have in your care. Be aware of who you're dealing with. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look, if you would, at verse number six. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, 
when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now he's talking about them giving to him and how he didn't demand that. But look what he says. But here's how he responded to them. Look at verse, verse 7. We were gentle among you. You know Paul says in one place? I'm bold in letter, but weak in presence. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me put this in modern terms. Some of you will text people things you would never say to their face. <laughs> Can I get a witness? All right. So you know what Paul says? I'll write you some letters and I'll say some very hard things. But I'd rather not that be the entire time that we're physically together. I'd rather enjoy our fellowship. Right? That's kind of the, the gist of it when he talks to the Corinthian church. What I'm getting at is this. Yes, there's a time to be direct, and this does not take away from boldness in Christ at all. The disciples were bold. But I want you to notice what he says. We were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. That is the care that a Christian should have with another believer. You say, well, what about when they're living openly? There's a time for a rebuke. But let's just be real about this. We are much more ready to zing somebody when we don't like something than we are to just work with them and be patient and be gentle. Am I right about that? I am here because some people were gentle with me. In the very back of the church sits uh, Cindy and I don't know, I think her and Lenny together is trouble. That's just my thought. It's like Thelma and Louise or something, you know. I don't, I don't know if I trust them back there, but uh, Cindy can tell you that my home was not exactly a perfect Christian home growing up. And there were overdoses, and there were the knife being thrown at someone in the shower, and there was the 2 a.m. police calls. And I've got to tell you, as I review my entire, like, growing up in that church and what Billy, her husband, who's now home with the Lord, how gentle he was. Now, don't get me wrong. One time, one time this very sanctified woman of God, when she was a teenager, was mouthing off to her parents and was completely disrespectful. And he went over and said, what is your problem? You know why? Because she needed that. <laughs> Seriously. And then there were other times in her life where she came to preacher and to Miss Sydney and just said, ah. and you know what it was then? Gentle. You say, why? One was a bold spirit that was self-righteous. And I, I don't say to pick on her. We've all done something stupid, right? She was raised not with God in her life, not with a Christian mom and dad, not with direction, I could go on and on. I won't do that. Don't embarrass her. It's her life. But I'm simply saying, when she got saved, she still had some grave clothes. You know what I'm saying? But I can tell you this. Billy Haas said, hey, bud, you want to go for a drive in the mountains? Yeah. Anything to get out of my house, man. That was how I grew up. So when you sit out there and go, oh, you should have a perfect life, you don't know. I've had to go, you know what? I don't want to think like how I was brought up. Are you listening? I want to think differently. I want to talk differently. I want to decide differently. I want different habits in my life. And God, please help me with my character. Help me to form this the way that reflects the life and the image of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I mention Billy? He was so gentle. Giant mammoth of a man. Now, when we played basketball, he was a jerk. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) When we were teenagers, I, we, you know, we kind of just mouth off a little bit, and he just, boom, and I'd fly, you know. And, but, but he was gentle as a preacher, as a friend. See, what are you getting at? Jesus Christ was gentle with the broken, and he was hard with those who felt they were whole without God. Paul mentions the fact that by the meekness and gentleness of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at Proverbs 15, we're about done. Proverbs 15, and then I'm going to give you three situations in the Bible to think about. Proverbs chapter 15. Here tried, 
tried to, to, to do what the Bible says to do, and, and then, like, you're shocked because you're like, it actually worked. Anybody ever done that before? Like, like you, this is what God says, and you're like, man, that just sounds stupid. There's no way that's going to work. But God said it, so I'm going to do it. And then you're like, whoa, it worked. This is one of those right here, Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. And I, I, I ask you to direct your, your, your mind and your eyes to verse number 1. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away what? But grievous words stir up anger. But pastor, I'm right. I know I'm right. Okay. But is that really what's going to make you right? You understand what I'm saying? A soft answer turneth away wrath. I'll never forget, 1998, had a bowl haircut, had a little bit of sun in, in there. I went down to Pensacola not knowing it's like a thousand percent humidity, so like I'm wearing a shirt that's way too heavy for that summer weather, and uh, I'm out there, and I decided to be an idiot for the first time that I go out and do public evangelism. I'm going to go to the beach, because I'm going to be Rambo for God, right? I'm going to I'm going I'm to put my, you know, I'm going to put my stake down. I'm going to let people know I'm, t- I'm tough for Jesus, you know. So I go out with these guys, not knowing what I'm getting into. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Pensacola. There's a big Navy base and a bunch of Marines are there. And so it's the beach. It's summer. What do people do in the summer at the beach? They drink. And if you're in the Marines, you drink a lot. And so we go out there, you know, and, and, and we get out there to preach, and I'm trying to preach the gospel, and there's guys coming in, and they're not, honestly, when I look back on it now, it's kind of funny. As a 17-year-old man, young man, I was scared out of my mind. And I'll never forget this little Cuban dude named Paul Garcia. He would always laugh like this. <laughs> Paul Garcia is, you know, I'm, I'm preaching, he goes, brother, you don't worry about it, I got it, it's okay, it's okay. He, and he, he just puts his arms around these guys that are yelling and screaming, and he goes, come on, guys. What's the matter, man? <laughs> and believe it or not, I kid you not, one of those guys was in tears by the end of that conversation. Yeah. You say, what was he? Just gentle. You don't always have to punch somebody. You don't always have to be the Rambo for Jesus. I recognize there's a time for the opposite. I recognize that. But can I ask you a question? What's your default? Yeah. Now, you may not remember the story. I'm not going to have you turn there, but there's a man named Nabal. And David and his, his mighty men protect Nabal and his property. And then they ask for some food. And then Nabal goes, Psh, uh, there's a bunch of runaway slaves from the, their masters these days. And uh, he's trying to take a jab at David because he, Saul, the king, is trying to kill him. And so he just starts spewing all this garbage. And the Bible says that his own servants went to his wife, went to Nabal's wife and said, you know how he is. No man can speak unto him. Don't be Nabal. Don't be Nabal. Then I'm reminded of a young man named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was the next in line to the dynasty, the heir of the, of the throne of David through Solomon. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. So he had, he had the ability to stake the claim to the throne because he was in the lineage of the king that God himself had anointed David. And Rehoboam had a choice, and he had a choice to answer the people softly or to just let, her ha- let them have it and just rip into them. You know what he did? He listened to his own contemporaries, his own people, his own age, got counsel from them instead of listening to the old men, and he just let them have it. You know what happened? The kingdom split. Can I ask you a question? Is it worth splitting the kingdom so you can show you're in charge? See? Gentleness affects your life more than you realize it does. Look at 1 Kings 19 and we'll close with this. I hope something tonight made sense. 1 Kings 19. Vanessa, 
I got to tell you, your voice sounds just like Anita's. I'm looking over. I can't, I can't tell who's which one saying amen. I can't tell who. who uh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> when they talk on the phone, I'm like, wait, who is this? First uh, Kings chapter 19. First Kings 19. Look, if you would, at verse number 10. Now, let me say this. If you're Elijah in this story, here's what you just experienced. You got God in the chapter prior to call fire down from heaven. You got God to send fire from heaven, and you just went and you cleaned house. And so you're feeling like this is the turning of the tide. Like now we're going to move the nation in the right direction. Things are going to go in the direction of God. And then right after that, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. If I find you, I'm going to kill you. So Elijah runs for his life. And as Elijah runs for his life, he starts feeling kind of like we do sometimes. I tried living for God and it didn't work out. Right? And so uh, Elijah is sitting under this tree. And the Lord speaks to Elijah, which to me fascinates me. Like, if I'm God, I'm like, ah, he's throwing a fit. I'm going to leave him alone. But God likes to talk to people when they're stewing. And he goes to Elijah. He goes, hey, man, what's your problem? You know everything. You know what my problem is. I stood up for you. No one else stood with me. I did all this, and I did all that, and they're all against me, and I'm just worthy. I just, I just want to die. And if I'm God, I'm probably like, okay, boop. <laughs> But he didn't do that. Look at verse 10. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. It's almost like he, it's almost like God, in case you weren't watching, let me tell you everything that's been happening. Like God missed it, you know? And I, even I only, and if you're not careful as a Bible-even Christian, you feel like this sometimes in the latter days. I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord tells him, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Now watch this. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now, if you're not saved, here's what some of you are thinking. I got to have this real mysterious experience, you know, and angels are going to be singing and, you know, I'm going to have this light flash over here. And, and here's where Elijah's at. Man, there's, there's this wind that comes by. But look what it says. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. And the Lord, things are shaking, you know. And he goes, man, this must be God. But this, the Bible says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Man, God was in the fire in chapter 18, but he's not in it this time. Because the Bible says, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, what? It's the only element that God did not say i wasn't in that so you know what the implication is god was in that still small voice you know what that means the spirit of god's leadership in your life you know what it is it's gentle it's gentle so let me say this if you're saved you know what that means your response to people should not automatically default to the opposite of that I recognize there's a time to deal with sin. I recognize there's a time for rebuke. I recognize that Jesus Christ was tough with those that needed it. I get all of that. But by default, what is your nature when you don't like what people are saying and doing, especially to you? You know what it ought to be? It ought to be gentle. Because God's voice in your life is gentle. Let me say this. If you're here and you've never been born again, right now, right now, you might sense that the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, not necessarily spray-painting something in the sky, not necessarily like an audible voice, but you sense something is not right between me and God. I don't even actually necessarily understand or know who God is, but I'd like to. And the Spirit of God is saying, you're missing something, you're missing something, you're missing something, and He might just be saying, you must be born again, you must be born again. You must be born again. But you know what he's not going to make you do? He's not going to make you get saved. You know why? Because he's gentle. He's a gentleman. You know what a gentleman does? Trying to teach them. 
You know, it's the coolest thing when there's an old lady that walks to a door and, and he runs up and opens it like, oh my goodness, what a fine young man. <laughs> you, you know what a gentleman is? A gentleman is a gentle man. You know what a gentleman does, young men, to give you some instruction? You don't put your hands on a lady that doesn't want it. Yeah. Amen. And you know, what, you know what's wrong with our country? I talked about this on Sunday. It's not manhood. It's manhood without God. And I'm going to tell you right now, you know, you need, you need some more gentle men and some more gentle Christians. And if you've never been born again, can I say this? The gentle spirit of God want, is moving in your life and in your heart, and he's saying, you must be born again. Don't ignore that still, small, and gentle voice. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed.